first week of May, and it is the first Sunday of the month of May. And for the coming four months, we are going to look into a new sermon series whereby it is taken from the letter of First John. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we have the Gospel of John, whereby it is the part of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that is the Gospel of John. But at the end of the New Testament, there's also the letters of John. First John, Second John, and Third John. So, for the coming few months, we're going to talk about the letter of First John. And it is the series of a letter which we believe which was written by the same Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John. Because among all these uh, writing, 1st John, 2nd John and 3rd John, the style of writing is very similar to the Gospel of John. So the scholar believed that Apostle John could be the author of these three letters or at least 1st John. Now, among the disciples of Jesus, the 12 disciples of Jesus, we believe John is the only one who lived until his old age and died naturally. All other disciples of Jesus who were with Jesus, all of them went for mission, went to uh, different places, and some believe that they went as far as China and India, and some of them are martyred. So, Apostle John was believed to be the only disciple who lived in old age and died naturally. And he had a lot of time to watch the church to grow. He witnessed many changes happening in the church, whether good or bad. And as an apostle of Jesus, he is overseeing a network of house churches, probably in Ephesus. Because from the letter of 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, he never mentioned. But the clues that we can find is that most probably, he was speaking to the network of house churches in Ephesus. And also, we roughly know that the house churches in Ephesus are made up mainly of Jewish Christian, Jew who came from Jerusalem all over the place where they gather to worship God as a Christian. And through the letters of 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, we read that there was a crisis that prompted Apostle Paul, uh, uh, sorry, Apostle John to write these three letters. And this crisis that he's writing to is to address the church about what is happening in the past, in the present, and perhaps to continue on to deal with the crisis. So John wrote these three letters to address the believers throughout the network churches in Ephesus about the crisis to some sort of do damage control and encourage believers to keep their faith and their sound doctrine in Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of crisis is Apostle John facing? He was facing the crisis of false teaching about the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. There were groups of believers who broke off from the original fellowship. People who came out from the fellowship started to preach a different gospel. And the gospel was a sharp departure from the true gospel of Jesus. And this group of people were actively engaging Christians to persuade them to abandon the true faith in Jesus. In, the, uh, in, in chapter 2 of 1 John, these people were called Antichrist. In chapter 4 of 1 John, 
these people were called false prophets. And in the second letter of John, second John, they were called deceivers. So this false teacher, deceiver, they believed that Jesus did not incarnate in flesh. That means that Jesus did not come in the flesh in human form. They also argued that Jesus was not the promised Messiah. And so, this is a serious doctrinal controversy about the person of Jesus, which was a very important core belief of our Christian faith. If you want to know whether someone or a group or a church is preaching the right gospel or not, look at their belief in the person, the nature, and also the ministry of Jesus. Our belief largely is about who Jesus is, his mission, and also his work, that he's coming back again. A large portion of our faith talks about Jesus. So, this is a sharp doctrinal uh, controversy that Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, Apostle John is facing, and that's why he's writing it. And this false teacher often claim that they have the newest, the latest revelation about God, about Jesus. So if anyone come to you saying that I have the latest and newest revelation about God and about Jesus, be very careful. Be very careful. And this false teacher were actively sent, traveling to different places, different uh, uh, place, different part of the place as missionary to attempt to convert Christian to their false teaching. They were sent as missionary. And as this false teacher going around, they stirred up hostilities. That means that they were hostile to anyone who reject them. And they stirred up a lot of problems about the true belief of Jesus. They created dissension. They created contention. They preached a divisive gospel hoping to convince any Christian who will listen and then to win them over to their false teaching. Some believers held on to their belief in Jesus. Some started to doubt. Some may be struggling in their belief, but some have abandoned their faith, their right doctrine, and followed the false teaching. This created tension and division within the Christian community all over the land. And so this prompted John at his old age to write a response letter to the network churches that he is connected with. And in this letter, he clearly states that he is not writing to all these network churches a new revelation or a new doctrine. He says, no, I'm not writing to you a new teaching. In fact, most of the content of this Letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it is very similar to the Gospel of John, the four Gospels, the Gospel of John, chapter 13 to 17. If you read the Gospel of John, chapter, 14, uh, chapter 13 to 17, it's very similar to the letter of John, 1st John, 2nd John, and 3rd John. And even the first few verses of 1st John, they're very similar with the Gospel of John. So the purpose of the letter of 1 John is to remind and encourage believers to, be stay, to stay strong, to stay true to what have been taught all this while and not to be swayed by any new kind of teaching or any false teaching that was spreaded around. 
So John wrote this letter to repeat and reinforce the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. He also wrote to reassure and strengthen faithful believers in the community, to warn them to resist the effort of the false teacher who have gone out among them. And so, these are some of the background of the letters of John that we are going to look at in a few months. And also, let me inform that the style of writing of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John it is very different and it's very interesting. Apostle John, he does not use the linear reasoning style of writing. The style that we are very familiar with, Apostle John. So Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul will always write linear argument. He will start by a reason and then he give example. He will end by the word therefore. Apostle Paul always use the word therefore. Everything is linear. But Apostle John, he uses a style called amplification. He will start with one main idea, go round and round, and end with the same idea. So he amplifies his main idea rather than give you a reason, a linear reason. And so, he will cycle around his idea repeatedly. And when you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you'll be sometimes confused. Why is he going round and round and round, coming back to the same main idea and not move on? But his style of writing, it is to amplify, to reinforce and reiterate rather than to teach something in a linear progression. And then there will be many hyperboles or many stark contrasts. For example, he will use light and darkness, love and hate, good and evil. And so, when you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you will come across all this style. It may be confusing sometimes. And then when John mentioned the word God, he refers both God the Father and God the Son. There's not much mentioning about the Holy Spirit because Apostle John, <coughs> sorry, Apostle John is dealing with the heresy about Jesus. And John also referred Jesus as the word of life. When you read the word, word of life, Apostle John is talking about Jesus. He is the truth. And Jesus is the light that has come to overcome darkness, the sinful nature of humanity. And with this light that Jesus brought, he also brought life to anyone or everyone who believe in Jesus. And then, there's another thing that I want you to take note of is this. We, you, he, and they. Because this letter of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is very specific, very targeted. When you read the word we, Apostle John uses as we, those who were alive with Jesus. That means that the people who have seen Jesus in person, whether Jesus is alive on earth, crucified on the cross, after Jesus resurrected, and when Jesus ascended to heaven, the word we refer to the people who were alive when Jesus is still around. And by that time, those people are at their old age. So when the word we refer to those who have seen and touched Jesus physically. And then when Apostle Paul wrote, uh, sorry, Apostle John wrote about you, it referred to the current generation. Those who become Christian because of the evangelism effort of those who are we. So we are those who've seen and touched Jesus. You are those who are new believers 
or the next generation of believers who have not seen Jesus in the flesh, but they have heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you will read about they. They refers to those false teachers who actively go out to preach the false teaching, trying to win people over to their false teaching. And of course, you will hear about he or him. Mostly refer to God. God the Father and God the Son. So with this background, let us start the journey of 1 John's sermon by looking into our first four opening verses of this letter. So let's this, read this together. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was, for, uh, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, these are the first four verses of the first letter of John. And as you read just now, would you feel quite confused? Okay, why is he repeating so many of the same words? But there will be only two points that I'm going to share with you today. And before that, let me tell you a story. There was a new pastor who took over a church. And this new pastor was a teaching pastor, very passionate about preaching. So in the first week of his sermon, he preached a 15-point, 15 15-point 15 sermon. He go on and on and on and on. So after the service, the deacon of the church, the church board came to this pastor and says, Pastor, we know that you are very passionate with the Word of God, but we are not used to having such a long sermon, 15-point. It's too much for our members. Can you shorten it? So the following week, the new pastor took the advice and he went to the pulpit and says, today, I'm going to preach three points. And the, and the congregation was so happy. Wow, from 15 points last week, today is only three points. And then the pastor says, for every three points, there will be five sub-points. And then after the service, the deacon came to the pastor again. He said, Pastor, I appreciate you cutting down from 15 points to 3 points, but it's still too much. Can you do something about it? And so the pastor took note. And the following week, he came on stage and he told the congregation, Everyone, today I have a good news for you. My sermon today, it will be pointless. Now this morning, with these four verses, I'll be only sharing to you two main points. And I don't know how many sub-points there are in these two main points. But one thing I hope that it will not be is that it will not be pointless. Now this morning, I would like to start off by this first main point that I want to share is this. Jesus was God incarnate that gave us life. 
Now, this sounds big words, right? Jesus, God incarnate. But let me uh, take your attention to the very first word of the first letter of 1 John. John started with this powerful reminder of the nature of Jesus. Remember, John is writing to reinforce, reiterate who Jesus is because of the false teaching about the nature of Jesus spreading around. So, John wanted to tell all the Christians again who Jesus is. And he began with this reminder in the beginning. That which was from the beginning. So this echo Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. That was which from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning. And this sentence, this phrase which is from the first uh, chapter of the first book of the Bible is really a powerful statement. And I really wish that I have one hour, another one hour to preach about in the beginning. You see, this three word is loaded with doctrinal truth about God. In the beginning, tell us that before anything exists, before the entire, come, uh, the entire universe come into being, God existed. From everlasting to everlasting, God existed. In the beginning, God has already existed. No one and no thing causes God to exist. He existed simply because He is God. And by His mighty power, He created the entire universe. And everything and anything that comes into being that was created, it was the sovereign plan of God. Therefore, God is almighty. God is the creator. God is the provider. God is the sustainer of everything. But most importantly, in the beginning, it talks about the powerful God who have created everything and He is the foundation of everything. He is the purpose for everything. God did not create every one of us, the universe, and just left it alone. There is a purpose and He is the sustainer. He is the foundation of everything. And all this truth is loaded into this verse in the beginning. No religion in, on earth have ever claimed this in the beginning. That talks about a very powerful claim of the nature of God. Only found in the Bible. And then, Apostle John, when he was with Jesus in John, the Gospel of John, verses one, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, he says here, again, in the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. And the Word was with God. Jesus was there in the very beginning with God. And the Word was God. So this is referring to Jesus and then verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. You see, he repeated again. He says, in the beginning, he thought about Jesus is the word. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. And then he repeated again. He was with God in the beginning. So this is the amplification style of writing. Going one big round, 
amplify everything, reinforce everything, coming back to the main issue, which is in the beginning. And then verse 3, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus gave us life. That life was the light of all mankind. And the same theme was repeated in the letter of 1 John. Jesus was God. In the beginning, He was life and He is light. And all these things was repeated in the first letter of John. So, when John had a personal encounter with Jesus, he expanded on Genesis chapter 1 and wrote Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1 to testify who Jesus is, to tell everyone who Jesus is. And so, he started writing letter of 1 John. And if you read 1 John, it's very different than all other epistles of Paul. Apostle Paul will always start with shalom, greeting, grace and peace to be with you, the churches of Ephesus. Grace and peace to be with you, the churches of Corinth. Grace and peace be with you, the churches in Thessalonica. So, there will be a starting and address of who Apostle Paul is writing to. But for John, he just simply writes, in the beginning, and he starts teaching. We do not know who he's writing to. He did not address himself. But from the clue that we have from this letter, we know that he's writing against certain false teaching. And from the style of writing, very similar to the book of John, we believe the letter of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John would have been written by the apostle John. And therefore, in the beginning, this is a very, very important truth that I hope that you will get this. In the beginning. Such a powerful truth. Now, not only in the beginning talks about Jesus is God, the almighty God, from everlasting to everlasting. He also says that God, Jesus, was manifested to us in human flesh. That means that Jesus was God incarnate. Now, incarnation may be a very big word to some of you today. But incarnation simply means made flesh or became flesh. And this is our Christian belief that we must always hold on to. That Jesus, He was fully divine. He's God, but He's also fully man. And that is why we call Jesus as the Son of God. Now, Jesus is not God's son in a sense that he has a human biological father-son relationship. God the father and Jesus the son is not a biological human relationship. God did not get married and have a son. God did not have a sexual union with Mary to produce a son. Jesus is the son of God in a sense that he is God and he became human. He came to us in a human flesh. He is sinless and He has a perfect relationship with God the Father. And that's why we got, call Jesus as the Son of God. Not because God the Father have a biological uh, 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 relationship with Jesus. It's because Jesus 
came to us in flesh and Jesus have a perfect relationship with God the Father. And so, Jesus, as He has a perfect relationship with Father, He also was chosen, was prophesied as the Messiah who is going to come to die for us, to give us salvation. Now, the term son is used because Jesus will be the vessel that God will use for the important task of dying for us on the cross. And that's what we need to understand why we call Jesus the Son of God. The Son of God. Jesus is fully God, having divine nature. At the same time, Jesus is fully man, having human flesh. If you poke Jesus, he will say, ouch. If you pinch Jesus, I'm not sure whether he'll pinch you back or not. He has human flesh. If he ate the wrong thing, he will still have food poisoning like you and I. So, Apostle John, in his writing, he explicitly pointed out that Jesus came to us in human flesh. And that's why, 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, you can read this, that which was from the beginning, and then he says, which we have heard. He can hear, which we have seen, which we have looked at, our hand have touched. Heard, seen, look, touch. All the senses except taste. Huh? It shows us, Apostle Paul wants to tell it, Jesus is really man. He's really in flesh. We hear him speak. And that is why he's effectively again reiterating to everyone saying that Jesus was in the flesh. Apostle John experienced God, encountered God, interacted with God and experienced Jesus firsthand. And now in his later years, when he's in his old age, when he see the church begin to be influenced by all kinds of false teaching, he wrote this letter to tell everyone again, hey, come back to the correct and the right doctrine of Jesus. So that the false teacher, when they come to you, you know what is true and what is false. Apostle John did not come to give a new teaching, but he is there to repeat and reiterate and reinforce who Jesus is. To refute the teaching of the false teacher saying that Jesus was not in, in, in physical form. Yes, Jesus was with us, but he is in the spirit. He is like a phantom. He can still interact with you, but Jesus is in the spirit. This was the false teaching that was spreading around. And of course, today, we categorize it as docetism. Docetism is a set of belief whereby they believe that physical is evil, spiritual is pure. You need to just emphasize on your physical. You need to meditate so that your mind and your soul will be pure. And it doesn't matter what happened to your physical. You can just do anything. And it, it, it produced two extremes. One extreme is that people will try to discipline themselves in the physical so that they will be holy. They will whip themselves. They will fast for one whole year. They will, they will bring discipline, pain, or even torture their physical body so that they will bring it to submission. That is one extreme. The other extreme is that it says that, well, physical body is not important. I can do anything. Drunkenness, 
lust, everything. Whatever you do to your body, let it be. Pleasure, hedonism. So these are the teaching today that we categorize it as something which is false. So Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, Apostle John is saying that no, Jesus is not a ghost. Jesus is not just here in the spirit. He is also here in the physical. And also, there are people who say that as long as you just keep your spiritual life pure, you can go to heaven. And Apostle John says, no, you must have every aspect of your life integrated together. And Jesus came in the flesh. This is also another thing that we need to emphasize. And this is what Apostle John is writing again and again and again. So, Apostle John reiterated this. We can see Jesus. We can hear Jesus. We can look at Jesus. We touch Jesus. Jesus is real in our flesh. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus need to come in human flesh? He could have come as a spirit. He could have come in any other form. Why Jesus need to come in a human flesh? Now, it's very important that Jesus come in a human flesh to be fully man so that with a flesh, body, flesh and blood, He can represent us to die on the cross for our salvation. In order to die on the cross, He must have a human flesh. He come fully as man, fully as God, so that He can be sinless to represent us humankind, human being, to die on the cross. This is one of the reasons why Jesus comes in the flesh and is so important. And when He is in the flesh, Jesus also experienced the same trial, temptation, and struggle like you and I. Jesus had many, many nights of overnight prayer. And after the, His overnight prayer, the next morning, He would still feel tired like you and I. Jesus also struggled to obey his parent. He also needs to learn how to obey his parent because he's in the flesh. But the Bible says that he overcame everything. He's sinless and he's able to represent us in the flesh to go on the cross. And that's why it's very important for us to have the right doctrine to hold on to it. Today, you and I need to have that right doctrine. Because Christianity is not just about attending church, giving, offering, sitting in a church or participating in event, giving to charities. It's more than that. It's not just about having more and more Bible knowledge, but it is also to be able to interpret, to handle the Word of God correctly, to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong, to know what is true and false. Because there are many shady teaching, divisive teaching, in Malaysian style, it's called the macam yes tapi bukan kind of teaching. Seems like it, but it's not. Sounds like it, but it's not. Where can you find this kind of shady teaching? It's something called YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitterbird, Facebook. Full of it. Full of it. And also, one of the source of all this shady teaching, it may be, maybe, perhaps, comes from your WhatsApp. There are people who just forward any and everything. All the video, 
and all the article, you must have the wisdom as you watch it, as you listen to it, you know what is right, what is wrong, what is half truth, and then what is all wrong. In the past two years of pandemic, as we worship from home, my prayer for the past two years is that we have the freedom to watch whatever we want. As you are watching 10 o'clock from home in the past two years, you can actually browse other sermon and other people's messages. My prayer is that you will have the right input to know what is the right preaching, what is the right doctrine that you are watching. And that's why it's very important for us to guard our doctrine, to know what we're believing in. It's not just about, oh, I'm a Christian, I can go to heaven, hallelujah. But you must grow strong, grow deep in your doctrine. How can we have the right doctrine? The one and the best way is this, to study. To really study. Study from those who have sound doctrine. See, our church provides Bible study. Our church has Logos College. And there is the effort that we made so that every one of us, we can learn the right doctrine together. My prayer is that we will not be too busy to equip ourselves with this sound doctrine that you will not perceive Bible study as just only for those who are clever, for those who can argue and debate, for those who are very into study. No. Bible never mentioned that only those who are clever can have doctrine, can learn doctrine. Every one of us should learn the basic doctrine about our faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says there, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I hope that when you listen to messages, Bible study, sermon, you will really discern, hey, is this person giving me a good motivational talk? Or is this person giving me a good spiritual food? It's always my fear and trembling to tell myself every time when I preach or teach that I will give good spiritual food because I cannot afford to give junk food or just motivational talk on Sunday. It must be good spiritual food. If I go back to heaven and Jesus asks me, what have you done with your opportunity as a pastor to preach every week? I must be able to say, God, I've been a good steward in my study, making sure the sound doctrine and making sure I will feed a good spiritual food for people. And that's why, church, let's grow in the right doctrine together. Let's guard our heart. Let's be careful with what we are watching and what people send to us. And can I humbly appeal to all of you that as we move back to certain normalcy again, that we will once again make an effort and priority to learn and equip ourselves with the right doctrine. The two years of pandemic is coming to a close. It's time to rebuild our habit of equipping ourselves with sound doctrine. That's how we can build a sound doctrine. Will you make an effort for Bible studies, Bible classes? Will you make an effort 
to join Logos classes. This is my appeal to you. And secondly, as we know the right doctrine, how can we keep and continue in the right doctrine? How can we uh, how can we uh, continue to make sure that we do not sway away, that we are always on the right track to be connected and active with the Word of God? This brings me to point number two. How can we keep and continue on in the right doctrine? My second point is this. Our fellowship with God and with all other believers gives joy. Let me read to you First John chapter 1, verses 2-4. to 4. It says here, The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which, has, uh, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, I want to stop here. I want to bring to you one example of the amplified style of uh, writing by, first, by, by Apostle John. Now, verse 2 started with the life appeared. It ended with appeared to us. The word appeared is in the beginning and at the end. He won't go one big round talking about the life appeared. We testify to it. We've seen it. We proclaim to you. We shall wish the Father and it appeared to us. So he's going one big round and amplify everything. So this is the style that you are going to encounter again and again and again as you read the letter of John. Alright? So this is the amplified style. And he reinforces the teaching that Jesus appeared. And after that, he says that he is with us. He is with us. Verse 1, saying that Jesus appeared in human flesh. Verse 2, again, he says he is in human flesh. He appeared. Now, appear means that Jesus came to us. Jesus is manifested to us. Jesus dwelt among us. Not only he is God, he is also with us in the flesh. He came to die for us so that we can have eternal life. And that is why he says, He came and He gave us eternal life. So, He is also light because Jesus teaches the truth which is the lamp to our feet, the light to our path. So, Apostle John quickly relate that Jesus is human, Jesus is light that gives us life. And in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus to us. He appeared. This echo, the gospel of John chapter 1 verse 14. It says here, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so, Apostle Paul again reiterate the life appeared. But this time he says that we have seen and testified. Now, sin and testify is no more physical seeing, physical testify. He's talking about after seeing Jesus in the flesh, our response is to observe, to see, to knowledge, to, to know Jesus and to testify, to preach and teach about Jesus. It's not the touching of physical about Jesus. It is the response of knowing Jesus physically. And so, he says that anyone, anyone who come to Jesus, who accept this word of life, will have fellowship with God, the Father and the Son. He moved on to verse 3. Can I have the, uh, uh, 
Yeah, verse 3. He says, We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This verse tells us that any one of you, all of us, as we believe in Jesus, we will have fellowship with God the Father. And at the same time, we will have fellowship with all other believers. That means there are two things here that I want to point out. You believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. We all believe in Jesus. But as we believe in Jesus, we have an intimate relationship with God, a fellowship with God. But at the same time, if we claim that we have fellowship with God, we also need to have fellowship with men. Because fellowship with God and fellowship with men goes hand in hand. As you join in the faith with God, you join in the church. And Apostle John reiterate this because there are a group of people who left the church claiming that they are Christian but they left the church. They left the fellowship of the church, began to preach a different gospel. But Apostle John says, no, if you claim that you really believe in Jesus, you will be with us together in this local body of the church. If you want to have fellowship with God, you also need to have fellowship with all other Christians. This brings us to the realization that our faith as Christians is a communal faith. We are called to be part of the body of Christ where there's fellowship, prayer, caring, giving, and worship. And it's always done together. Together. Not individual, not alone. There's this important reason why church is always gathering together as we see this as a pattern in the New Testament. That whenever believers pray, they'll be together. Whenever believers have Holy Communion, they'll be together. Whenever believers go for mission, they'll be together. That togetherness, the communal sense of it, because of our faith, is a communal faith. But for the past two years, COVID have interrupted this communal faith and we need to practice safe, uh, safety and therefore we worship from home. But we need to rebuild this habit once again. The communal aspect of our faith. The fellowship of our faith. The habit of worship together in person to encourage and support each other. Whether in small group, in prayer meeting, in Sunday worship, in Bible study group, in your caring for other people. This is the pattern that has always been in the Bible to show us that our faith is a communal faith. A fellowship which is very intentionally participating with all other believers. And that's why Apostle John says that we proclaim to you what we have seen, what we have heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us as you have fellowship with God, the Father and the Son. Now, individually, we connect to God. But at the same time, we connect to one another. Now, even though your faith is a personal faith, that means that you choose to put your faith in Jesus, it's a personal choice. But your faith is not an individual faith. It's a personal faith, but not an individual faith. When you believe in Jesus, it's not just between you and God happily ever after. When you believe in Jesus, 
you come together with all other believers in the local church. And at the end of age, the book of Revelation says that Jesus is coming back again. For who? For the church. The book of Thessalonians says that Jesus is the bridegroom. And who is the bride? The church. And who is the church? All of us, community together. And this is the doctrine that Apostle John wants to battle against. The people who broke off from the group saying that they have the truth gospel. But Apostle John says, no. Our faith is a communal faith together. Not individual faith. Communal faith. And that's why there's always togetherness. There are time for your personal prayer, yes. There's time for your personal uh, time with God, yes. But there's always corporate, communal time together. This is the pattern in the Bible. And that's why you and I need to be with the fellowship with all other people so that we can keep our doctrine pure so that we won't be swayed from our doctrine. So that we can keep ourselves accountable to the larger body. So that we, with all humility, we can speak to others and others can speak to ourselves. That there will be love to serve, to teach, and also to care for one another. And this is one way we can keep ourselves from the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. That connection, that participation with the church. Not this building, but with all other believers, with humility and love. And so, as we come together, always remember this. My faith is not just my own individual preference. It's a community. It's all people coming together. And I need to continue in that faith, fellowship, so that I make sure I won't drift away. Just like a heap of burning charcoal. How do you make sure that charcoal burns constantly? How do you make sure that the charcoal will continue to burn and burn and burn? By putting the charcoal all together. And you all know, if I take one charcoal out from the burning heap, what will happen? As hot and as bright the individual charcoal is burning, it will eventually cool off. And that is the danger that we need to watch out as we worship from home, apart from all other believers. We may grow cold in our love and our care for others. We may become less and less connected, less and less in loving, serving and caring for others. It may be all about me, me and me. And as you grow further and further apart from the connection with your fellow believers, if you're not careful, your faith and your doctrine may sway. And that's why the fellowship with all other believers is very important. Apostle John says, as you have fellowship with God, have fellowship with other believers as well. You see, fellowship and friendship is two different things. Fellowship and friendship is two different things because you can be friend without fellowship. You can be friend because you want company. You want to have the same hobby. You come together. You like the same food. You come together. You like to play the same thing. You come together. That is friendship. You may be friend because you grew up together. You attend the same school. You work in the same office. You may be friends because there's benefit. But when we talk about fellowship, 
fellowship, even though this is not an official definition, I would like to bring forth this. When we talk about fellowship, there's this spiritual aspect that I would like to put in. The spiritual aspect whereby in our friendship, it becomes a fellowship when we all come together because of God. I come because of God. You come because of God. You did not come because I am good looking. You did not come because I can preach a good message. You did not come because this church is very attractive. You and I come because of God. That is fellowship. The basis of what we do, why we do things, the basis of our gathering is God. Our fellowship with God causes us to have fellowship with one another. To have a Christ-centered relationship. That's fellowship. I care for you because of Christ. I love you because of Christ. I will lay down my own right because of Christ for you. It first because of Christ. And the Apostle John says, this fellowship brings joy. First John chapter 1 verse 4, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. You see, this fellowship that's centered on Christ, you and I come together because of Christ, this kind of fellowship, it brings joy. John says that by encouraging each other, staying faithful to the doctrine of Jesus, staying faithful to the fellowship with all other believers, it brings joy. What kind of joy is he talking about? The joy that comes from knowing that all of us as believers, we are walking with God. That you know I'm walking with God. I know you're walking with God. You know that I'm growing with God. I know that you're growing with God. I'm encouraging you. You are encouraging me. And that brings joy. John says that there is joy when he writes to the people, encouraging the believers, and when he sees believers growing strong in the right doctrine. There's gladness in heart knowing that we are enriching one another taking the initiative to care for one another's faith, not wanting to see anyone going astray or going away from the faith. And this is the kind of joy that you will find when you are connected with all other believers in a God-centered fellowship, not just friendship. And this is the kind of joy you will find in a small group, in Sunday service, in Bible study together, this kind of joy that you will find when you see each other on Sunday services. And let me end, as in conclusion, let me end by telling you my joy in the fellowship of this church is my joy that you are connected and you are participating in a meaningful God-centered fellowship. It's my joy when I see all of you after service instead of quickly going home, that you stay back to encourage one another, to ask one another, how are you? To ask one another, hey, long time no see you. Wow, your, hair, well, your white hair grows so much already. Wow, you look so different. Wow, your kids grew up. That kind of care and concern, it gives me joy. Because I know that you are caring for one another, not because it's just a nice social thing to do but because we are all gathering in the name of Christ. It's my joy to see that 
when you join a small group, it's not because you have to. It's not because you have nothing better to do. You're coming together as a small group because you know that I want to belong to this small group to encourage each other to grow. It's my joy to see many of you serving sacrificially, especially for the past two years. You could have done many other things. You have so much stress, so much work to do, but yet you still serve the church so sacrificially with commitment. It's my joy because I know you're doing it because of Christ. It's also my joy to know that for the past two years, you did not go astray, you did not leave the church, that your faith is still intact even though you worship from home. It's my joy to see that you're all coming back together knowing that we are all worshipping the same God again together. That is the joy because of Jesus. Not because of habit, not because of Christian ritual, but because we all do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. The right motivation, the right purpose, a biblical meaning in all that we say and do. And out of that, we come together. So I hope that you will be aware of what kind of doctrine that you are living out in your life today. My prayer is that you will make effort, continue to deepen your faith, the sound doctrine, so that you will know when you encounter shady teaching, when you encounter false teaching, and there are many out there. My prayer is that you will have daily personal encounter with God. You will see God. You will, you will hear from God. You will be touched by God. You experience Him. And out of that, you speak to the life of other people. And my prayer is that you will have a God-centered fellowship. You come together not because you have to, you come together because you know as you connect to God, you connect to all other believers. It's not just about what I want. It's about what pleases God. The communal fellowship, a God-centered fellowship. And with that, can I ask you to just stand with me knowing that we need to come together. Let's pray to the Lord and I'll ask the worship team to lead us in this song that Jesus, He is the light of the world. And as the worship team prepares, can I ask to have the reflection questions? These are the three reflection questions that I want you to keep in mind as we sing this song. The first reflection question, it talks about this. As a disciple of Christ, what steps am I taking to equip myself with the right doctrine of Jesus? Secondly, describe how Jesus has been the word of life. That means how Jesus has been giving you life that made a difference in your walk with God. And number three, how is my fellowship with other believers bring joy in my faith with the Lord? These are the three questions I hope that you will think about, reflect personally in your small group and right now as I invite the, whole, the, the, the uh, worship team to lead us in this time of prayer.